0: Dr. Oz's research tortured and killed over a 1,000 animals, including more than 300 dogs. Defend your boy.
1: I would take my three dogs, drive to Pennsylvania, and have them eat him.
0: Welcome to the Balance of Power Roundtable broadcast on WKXL and available wherever you get your podcasts. I am Matt Robeson, and I'm joined by our panel, which consists, as always, of former Democratic U.S. Congressman Paul Hodes and conservative commentator, analyst, And consultant Alicia Preston. As we record this, first of all, I had to redo that intro because Mr. King's English, Paul Hodes, decided that the (laughs) word commenter is not a thing. By the way, welcome to the 21st century, Paul. People online are called commenters, whatever, but you're a commentator, you're an analyst, you are. An all around guru of all things political. And we are mm-hmm. happy to have you on the show. Speaking of all things political, there is so much going on as we race toward the midterm elections. We are going to start to transition into a mode here on this show where we have kind of a rapid fire, a grab bag of all the stuff coming at us as we cycle through the news. I know that on this show, we try and do deep dives on the underlying issues. But we've just got a lot of incoming to deal with here, so we'll try and do a little bit of both, some touch points to the deeper driving issues in our politics, but also just some of the stuff that's hitting us in the news cycle. Speaking of which, let's start off with two of the really interesting items that occurred this morning as we record this on Tuesday, October 4th. The first one is Herschel Walker. It turns out from the Department of Hypocrisy, uh, we've got a Republican candidate who is pro-life and who paid for his then-girlfriend to have an abortion. Paul Hodes, uh, what's the nutshell on this and what was your reaction?
2: Well, it's, it's nuts, but for Herschel Walker, it's business as usual. Um, his former girlfriend... I said he paid for her abortion in 2009. Uh, Walker has taken the you know the the fascist party's um, cult op- opposition to abortion uh, to the extreme and but and of course he says his girlfriend is lying. Um, so it's it's um, it's just more of the same from Herschel Walker. He's just mixed up.
0: I've got a comment here that's interesting in this that the the woman involved, provided the reporter with a receipt from the procedure and a get well card signed by herschel walker himself and walker has still decided that he's better off sticking with the obvious lie sticking with his line on it than actually engaging with the truth alicia you're not only kind of coming at this panel from the right ideologically. You also are a professional who deals in communications. And often this is just what happens if you're a campaign consultant, you deal in crisis communications. Have you dealt with this kind of a blow up before? And what do you do? What do you do? if you're if you're Herschel Walker in this circumstance
1: well the problem he has is that he's Herschel Walker I mean any other candidate almost could potentially be honest and say look I I was scared at the time uh I I didn't understand the ramifications of my actions and I've actually changed my mind the more and I've learned over the years and that's legitimate I mean a lot of people have changed their mind on issues like the death penalty and abortion and gay marriage and that's totally like Mr.
2: Bolduc like Mr. Bolduc
1: that's not the same thing you No, that was a rapid
2: change of mind That was a
0: rapid change. And his excuse for it was, look, all that stuff
1: I said at the time was just to get elected, just to get elected. I didn't
2: didn't really mean it. I guess he's being
1: honest, right? No, I mean, so points for that, points for that. You are allowed to evolve your positions over time and aging and life experience. But the problem we have here is it's Herschel Walker who's a loony toony and who nothing he says has any integrity to it. And now who I feel badly for is his children. He's got a son named Christian Walker, who's a young adult who came out last night in a series of uh, social media posts, explaining every one of his children and members of the family asked him not to run because they knew about his past. They knew it would come out and they knew they'd be put in the crosshairs and said that he's been lying repeatedly. He lies repeatedly. He's not a family man. He doesn't support his children. He's not part of many of their lives. And I think that's who Herschel Walker is. And when you've got someone like a young adult coming out, who's his son discrediting him, in the way that he is, you have to look at the big picture as a whole. So my answer to you is for any legitimate candidate, changing your mind and evolving on a message is fine over years. The messenger here, it's not gonna fly because it's Herschel Walker.
0: I think the problem is that what you just outlined is indeed a communications best practice, and it could work but you have to put the steps in place to make it work. The ironclad rule that I learned sort of at the knee of David Gergen, who is one of the godfathers of crisis communications at the presidential level, is get it out, get it all out, and get it out yourself. That is what he famously advised then-President Bill Clinton when the Monica Lewinsky scandal was beginning to rear its head. And it is good advice for all politicians. Get it out. Get it all out the first time, don't let the drip happen. Get it out yourself. Take control of the narrative. If Herschel Walker had done that at the outset of the campaign, if he had said, here are my sins, <laughs> here are my <sighs> problems, I have I have made huge mistakes in my life and I have learned from them and I'm running now because I've learned and because I've evolved, then what you just said, Alicia, would have been true he would have earned that line. And it would have justified the reaction we're seeing from the conservative commentariat online these days. Sorry, commenters. I can't say that, Paul. (laughs) From the conservative commenters online, like that whack job, Eric Erickson, who came and said, oh, this is all old news. No, it's not, Eric. It's not old news. It's new news. It would have been old news if walker had just come out so- early in the campaign and announced here i am i'm laying i'm laying it bare and i'm running because i've screwed up and i'm trying to seek redemption for myself And also for our body politic, that would have actually been a compelling story to tell. And it's worked before in American politics.
1: And just to, you know, let you know how well that works. I was once working in a state on a congressional campaign in a brutal primary. And I did, I call it the coming to Jesus meeting with the candidate. You know, tell me everything bad you've ever done. I don't care whether you think the other guy can find it. Tell me everything bad. So he tells me and I go back to him a day later. I go, I got it all set up on the front page of the largest newspaper in the region. I've made a deal with them on the front page on Sunday. Sunday, top of the fold with a picture. There's going to be an article about that time you got busted DWI wearing nothing but boxers and horns coming from an ACDC concert with a joint in your lap. Better he's than like, coming
0: you're... from an insurrection, but go on.
1: <laughs> he goes, You're gonna do what now? I go, It's all set up, it's gonna be on the front page. He's like, You're insane. I'm like, we got six months to the primary, plenty of time for people to get over it. Then they have nothing to say. Inoculation worked and works. we won the primary.
0: Inoculation yep. works, and it's not just for vaccines. Hey Paul, do you remember when I became your chief of staff? This was Fifteen years ago, next month, and I sat down with you in your office, and I said, "Okay, Paul, I've got to know how to defend you against all the stuff that might be coming. You've got to tell me what that stuff might be." And you know what was really sucky about that?
2: You're boring.
0: You don't have I any hate stuff. That. I know that's inhaled. so boring. I, hate I mean, that. there was
2: that. Wait a second. Wait a second. Didn't wait a second. I didn't tell you my John Lennon story. Yeah, now B, that's not
0: scandalous. That's interesting. That's an awesome story, but it's not like yeah, you know,
2: so, scandalous. So, know. so for our for our, for our listeners, a quick plug. I'm about to release my first solo rock album, and there's a song on it called "The Night I Met John Lennon" from the summer of 1971 when I spent a night smoking hash with John Lennon. So I figure that as music PR, ex congressman smoked hash with John Lennon is a pretty good story to uh, help get the song out. But Matt didn't think it was all that impressive.
0: Well, at, we were in a very different place on the culture 15 years ago. I will say, I mean,
1: now you'd get a ton of votes just for doing that. Look, right. It's called, I call this the eight mile rule. Have we all seen that great Eminem movie, eight mile? Heck yes. yes. Of, we all right. The right. final scene is what every political campaign needs to follow. And I actually make candidates watch this movie. If they haven't brilliant, brilliant in the very end. What happens? Eminem gets to go first in the rap war. it's a rap battle at the end. And they, they, you know, criticize each other or whatnot. And he gets up and he literally goes, this is everything you're going to say about me. And he says every bad thing about his mom and his girlfriend and everything and getting beat up and all kinds of scandalous stuff. And he drops the mic and the other guy gets up and guess what? He drops the mic because he's got nothing to say.
0: He's got nothing to say. Get it out. Get it out. Get it all out. Get it out yourself. Take control of the narrative that way. Look, I'll give you one more political example and then we'll move on. I've re- referenced before the fact that I ran the campaign for the most endangered Democratic incumbent congressman in the country 10 years ago in, in 2012. And he was subject at the time to a scandal. His brothers in law were running an offshore gambling ring and the drip was happening. The drip, the drip, the drip. So, you know what we did? We did, in political parlance, what's called a talkathon. We stood him up at a press conference. We invited all the press. They were calling me beforehand. They're like, is he going to resign? Is he going to step down? No, no. He's getting up to take all of your questions. You know what else we did? We had your communications director who was working for us on that race, Mark Bergman, Paul. We had him stand up and do, okay, last question to the media. And we had in advance, I can't believe I'm admitting this. I don't think John will be mad at me. We had John say, no, 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 no. I'll stay until all the questions are done. We let The press punched themselves out. And when they ran out of things to ask, then and only then were we done. It didn't kill the whole issue, but it killed the drip. There was nothing else for them to report. And then everything truly was old news. But we were able to do that only because we had the virtue of telling the truth and the whole truth, not the case with Donald Trump's lawyers, who it was revealed over the last 24 hours one of them refused to assert that all of the Mar-a-Lago classified material had been turned back to the archives because he suspected it was not true. Paul Hodes, I'll let you tee off on this first. What was your reaction to this fantastic story as a former attorney and prosecutor and I member mean, of Congress?
2: It's you know it's this weekend, this weekend, Trump. I mean, Trump is a cornered animal at this point. He's getting hammered from all directions—from Georgia, from New York, from the DOJ—and the 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 news about the his stealing uh, classified top secret and classified documents um is it, it get just gets worse and worse including the story from the washington post that can, that that basically uh, reports that trump told one of his lawyers to lie to the national archives telling them he had returned all the documents that they wanted the lawyer refused but then he found another lawyer to to actually sign a document with the lie in it. But now that lawyer apparently has uh, got an attorney uh, and who says she's willing to talk to the DOJ about her role in the case. So this is lawyer number two who's going to talk about the whole thing. This is not good news news for Donald Trump, because in addition to stealing the documents, he now is part of a there's another federal charge in there is all is all I'll say. So the the potential federal charges uh, keep lining up. And this may very well be the quickest path to an orange jumpsuit that we have seen so far, because unlike prosecuting him for seditious conspiracy and trying to overthrow the government, This one, this all is pretty clear. It's cut and dried. I would love to prosecute this case. I feel very strongly that that I could prosecute this case.
0: I I don't know uh, why at the end of that trenchant legal analysis where the upshot was, this is bad for Trump, you inhaled helium. But I will say, this does point out why the dark joke in Republican circles these days is that MAGA stands for make attorneys, get attorneys. Speaking of seditious conspiracy, Paul Hodes, You also wanted to comment on the opening of the trial of the head of the Oath Keepers. I can't keep track of the Oath Keepers, the Proud Boys, the Proud Keepers, the Oath Boys, the Oak Ridge Boys. I don't know who all these right-wing nutjobs are, but the head of the Oath Keepers, a guy named Stuart Rhodes, who, by the way, went to Yale Law School, so he knows kind of what he's doing. He has a novel defense in the opening of his trial for seditious conspiracy. Uh, Paul, legal analyst, I assume that his what, what do you make of his defense? What, what, what's up with
2: that? Well, first of all, the defense is that the government is mischaracterizing what happened. The government is just overreaching because all these folks, these folks, that's such a nice word. That's a Biden-esque term. The folks, um, the Oath Keepers, the Proud Boys, the, the third rank fascists, the cult crazies, the QAnons. Um, They just came to Washington as security guards dedicated to peacekeeping, who showed up because they expected then president, the great orange Cheeto, Donald Trump, to invoke the Insurrection Act, according to the Mike Flynn doctrine of how to overthrow the government, to activate the Oath Keepers as the defenders of America to defend Trump's government. That's their defense. Trump made us do it. So that's the defense. Trump made us do it. That's not good news for Donald Trump. I won't go to helium on this one.
0: I just love the idea that what I was doing that would have been illegal, I was expecting to retroactively made legal. It's almost like a defense of saying, well, I expected Donald Trump to pardon me. So, you know, I could do whatever. Alicia, what did you make of this? You you pointed out that, well, they they did try to observe all the D.C. gun laws, so they have that going for them.
1: Well, you know, one of the articles about that, that's the lawyer says, um, you know, they had a bunch of guns outside of D.C., but they honored the D.C. gun restrictions and that this was weird. It it says would only have acted with guns upon a direct order from then President Donald Trump. Can Donald Trump order civilians? To take up arms against congress but can he do that is that a thing i'm unfamiliar with that It
0: like he deputizes
1: them it's sort of like a wild west thing Uh, i
0: I
2: declassify all documents (laughs) and i create you as my new private national guard
0: (laughs) actually i like the idea of creating someone as a knight sort of game of thrones style right like you know i could be sir matt that would be um that would be awesome hey Well, one more on insurrection. Paul, we did an awesome interview with Jamie Raskin, the impeachment manager for the second Trump impeachment. I can't believe we have a president where we have to delineate between the various impeachments. The second one, you know, the one tied to the insurrection. He was the Democrats impeachment manager for that. He's on the January 6th investigation committee, and he's very familiar to most listeners and viewers as one of the uh, biggest insiders out there one of the most knowledgeable members of congress and human beings alive about all of the big lie activities from Donald Trump and the insurrection uh, paul what was your big what was your big takeaway from that interview i just i want people to listen to the whole thing it's in the beyond politics po- podcast feed uh, it's up on youtube on the takedown Video channel, but what what did what did you take away from
2: it? First of all, Jamie Raskin is he understands the Constitution uh, and is a passionate defender of democracy because he understands that. Look, our what we're facing here is a is a choice. It's freedom or fascism. That's that's and and frankly, that's what the midterm elections are about. It, it, it Do we do we preserve our freedom? Or are we overtaken by fascism, freedom or fascism? But believe it or not, what the take and he went through the whole thing. He connected Donald Trump to the highest levels of culpability for the insurrection, in his, in his words, the highest level of culpability. Um but what was interesting was he took us to school on the issue of whether or not the January 6th committee is going to make a criminal referral to the department of justice. And he basically said, look, their job is to prosecute. Our job is to make sure that the changes that we uh, recommend uh, prevent this from ever happening again. He pointed out that there's no statutory authority for the January 6th committee to make quote criminal referrals, but that they're going to issue a report that will detail in 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 excruciating detail all the crimes that were committed and then he'll they'll just leave it to the doj which as he said they know all about the criminal law we don't have to tell them can i can i hit you with
0: what i thought was the spiciest quote from the whole interview and again it's oh i want people oh oh, it's it's red hot you're gonna like this
2: he he is something he he, He is something
0: i want people to i really do check out beyond politics, subscribe to that podcast. If you haven't, by the way, you're listening to it right now. If you're, if you're on podcast, if you're on the radio, you should listen to it. So, okay. Uh, <laughs> this is, uh, this is the quote, uh, we asked about how concerned we should be about how the conspiracy thinking has overtaken the Republican party. You know, Jenny Thomas testified last week to the committee that despite the debunking that's happened, she still thinks the 2020 election was stolen. It's weird. And here's what he said. I'm quoting. Republican Party members, his colleagues in Congress, they're acting like members of a closed system, religious cult, like the Church of Scientology or the Moonies. And I've told my Republican colleagues that when we get through this period, they're going to be fit only for sleeping on basement floors and selling incense and flowers at Dulles Airport. That's their destiny. After the way they've suspended the use of their minds, their critical thinking skills, these people are members of Congress who bow down to an absolute con man and hustler like Donald Trump. Alicia, defend your boys.
1: Who are my boys?
0: the Republican members of Congress, the all-star team, Marjorie Taylor Greene, (laughs) Lauren Boebert, you know, intellectuals.
1: You know, the conspiracy theory, it's funny you mentioned the Moonies. Do you know in the 80s, a minister of my church was fired because he was selling stolen VCRs out of our church's basement to the Moonies? (laughs) That's a fact.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I haven't heard them invoked since then. The The name of that person who was kicked out of your church? Kevin McCarthy. How do you defend Republican members of Congress who Jamie Raskin, our recent guest on Beyond Politics, characterized as fit only for sleeping on basement floors and selling incense and flowers at Dulles Airport? Uh, Alicia, is there a defense for these people? No. Okay, good. Um, Now that we've cleared that up, (laughs) let me hit you with an even uh, spicier one since since we're into spice today. Um, So Governor Chris Sununu, of new hampshire has sent the national guard to the southern border to defend new hampshire from i guess incursions from the southern border now my contention on this show last week and in my alternate article my, my newsweek article about this was hey, it's immigration o'clock whenever the issue environment calls for Republicans to change the topic to something that advantages them electorally. It's immigration o'clock. They do an immigration thing. Defend your boy. Is this just immigration o'clock for Chris Sununu?
1: Absolutely not. Look, the Biden administration's Department of Defense put a call out to the states and said, we need help down here. And the reason is because fentanyl weapons and human trafficking is flooding over the border. And the idea that that doesn't affect New Hampshire, which is in the top four worst opioid crisis states in the United States of America, is simply false. And it's politicizing it. Biden's administration asked states to comply. 12 states did. uh, And they've sent National Guard to the border to work uh, to protect certain crossings so that the border agents can do their job. There's just too much coming over. I think it was a nonpartisan thing to do. If Chris Nuna wanted to be political, he would have said no, because it was a request from the Biden administration, but to mock it and say, oh, because the southern border doesn't affect New Hampshire, ask the families of everybody who has died in the last two years from fentanyl overdose if it doesn't affect them.
2: So oh, attack your boy. A lot of the look, a lot of the fentanyl is actually coming from Canada. So this is just a political this is just grandstanding by Sinuno. Oh, yeah. The federal government asked me, I've got to do it. And we, here we are in New Hampshire, where every time the federal government says something, we say, go pound sand. But this time, oh, I'm going to send our troops there because everybody's worried about immigration. And here in New Hampshire, we're so worried about all those people coming over from Mexico about immigration that I am going to stand with Governor DeSantis and Greg Abbott because I'm a good Republican and I'm going to bring immigration into the national dialogue, just like I'm supporting governor DeSantis about sending migrants to martha's vineyard because i think we need to bring attention to this terrible terrible thing oh and it happens to be election season yeah he actually I'll...
1: criticized the martha's vineyard situation he, he did not, supposed...
2: not criticize he them did. he did no, not he... he supported it he said yo we've got to bring attention to this terrible problem of and he said that, that
1: wasn't the way to do it and it was a waste of taxpayer money is you know what he said. you
2: would you would you would do somersaults to support governor seduno i'm telling you he he is a he. He is a two-faced. He is a two-faced person. He claims to be criticism. He,
1: he claims to be he, he for claims, national
2: guard he claims to be pro-choice he's not he claims to be a moderate and he supports desantis and by the way he just endorsed karen levitt the absolute wingnut right-wing radical uh big lie proponent this guy cannot be trusted to tell the truth under any circumstances it's i'm gonna make you knock
0: say- sock em, robots move on in a second but i just want to excise this section of video i'm gonna send all right go alicia go
1: you just said he claims to be a moderate in the rolling stone article that matt sent around to all of us uh on chris sununu he says and i quote i'm actually not a moderate i'm just not extremist i'm gonna
0: take this section of recording i was gonna call it tape and reveal my age i'm gonna take this section of recording i'm sending it to the chris sununu 2024 presidential campaign folks you could do a lot worse than hiring our friend Alicia Preston, as your <laughs> campaign communications director, she's here. She's ready. She does a pretty darn good job. And I not like sure. Iowa, so let's go. Yeah, not sure I'm buying it, but you know, hey, wait, why why ship you out to Iowa?
1: No, I want to go everywhere. Keep it home. I'm just saying All right, like be in there too.
0: All right, let's let's move on. Good there have been a ton of curtain raisers out in the press over the last few days about the start of the Supreme Court term. Uh, obviously, there are a number of really consequential cases on the docket. It sort of felt like after the Dobbs decision, maybe we had sort of hit the high water mark of controversy and changes to settled law and massive structural societal changes in America. Far from it, there are some truly consequential things coming down the pike. Um, Paul, what stood out to you among all of these really important cases? What, what are you going to be watching most closely?
2: Well, there are a lot of important cases. There are cases about race. There are cases about education. Uh, there are lots of different voting cases that are that are coming up, all of which are critical. And we're dealing with a six to three radical right wing uh, Republican uh, takeover of politicized Supreme Court justices. Uh, the case that really stands out is the uh, what I'll quote as the independent state legislature doctrine um it's some kind of new legal theory that uh, uh the supreme court and republicans are flirting with that says only the state legislature without any intervention by the courts or anything in the state constitution um can 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 deal uh with the law about how to hold elections so this is an attempt to basically bring trumpism uh, to embed trumpism into our electoral system uh, and remove any check from uh, the what the crazy republican legislatures uh, want to do it would have made it uh, if this if this was the law think about how easy it would have been uh, theoretically for trump to turn over uh, the election Uh, because he would have uh, had all these Republican legislatures saying the courts can't do anything about us. The Constitution doesn't matter. Only we can do things. So it's it's a very it's an important case. It's a dangerous case for American democracy and jurisprudence. And um, uh, even um, scholars have 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 basically mocked it, uh, including revered conservative judge uh, Michael Ludig, um uh, who uh, is just says there's absolutely nothing to support this theory. It would be antithetical, he said, to the framer's intent and to the text fundamental design and architecture of the Constitution. Um, it is a very, very important uh, and dangerous case.
0: I want to turn the same question over to you, Alicia, in just a moment in terms of what's standing out to you. Uh, in the new term of the Supreme Court. But I do want to just commend to our listeners. I wrote an article on this topic of the independent state legislature theory or doctrine as Paul laid out back in July of this year. Uh, It's on Alternate. It's called More Than One Way for SCOTUS to Screw Democracy. And I I just, I kind of run down the setup here. I think there's some bad news and some good news in all of this. The bad news is, it is truly dangerous. This is this is some off-the-wall stuff. Uh Harvard law professor Lawrence Tribe said that under this case, extremist judges are aiming their next dagger at the heart of the entire democratic enterprise. And the law professors behind the podcast strict scrutiny said it's a body blow to democracy. Th- this is truly dangerous, but it doesn't go quite as far, I think is the good news as some on the left claim it could in terms of totally wiping out the ability uh, for example uh, of the electoral college to uh, determine you know p- for people's votes to determine who the president is it doesn't doesn't quite go that far but it's it's a very weird case and it's one that sort of pits notions of federalism states rights state laws state constitutions against one another all 50 Supreme Court uh, chief justices of state Supreme courts have signed a brief to the Supreme Court opposing the right-wing case in independent this independent state legislature doctrine case. So it's it, it's very weird. it crosses party lines, it crosses ideological lines. Alicia, do you want to move on to another one or do you have anything to say on this particular case?
1: Well, just on this, look, this, you know, some cases that go before the Supreme Court, you can have cultural opinions, belief systems that you can weigh in on. This one really is a matter of law and I'm not a lawyer, but I will say this. I don't think a legislature and anybody a governing body should be able to do anything without a check and balance after it. So, if this is a matter of the legislature can do what it wants at any point and no court can rein it in, I am completely opposed to that theory. I think that is dangerous for democracy. Um, so, you know, that's kind of all I'm saying. That, it's a really legal case, and and I don't I don't think anyone wants our legislatures pe- to be able to do whatever they want unfettered in any scenario.
0: Uh, right. I think that's an excellent point, which is they're sort of. I'm going to sound like Donald Rumsfeld here, but there are sort of known knowns, known unknowns, and unknown unknowns. You can Google that if you're not familiar with that particular (laughs) tortured quote. But I think what Rumsfeld was driving at is, look, there are things that we kind of can at least conceive of that we haven't answered when it comes to this case. But then there are all these kind of unknown unknowns, unintended consequences. It's really hard to foresee if, if the Supreme Court rules with sort of the right-wing groups bringing this case, it's really hard to see where it goes, where it lands, and what legislatures might do if they're completely unconstrained by state constitutions. It could get very, very dicey for democracy in American elections. Alicia, of all these cases on the docket, what's standing out to you?
1: There's a case out of Colorado with a website designer and um, she there's a state law that she has to um, create websites for anyone who asks. You can't discriminate based on certain things. However, she claims she's a Christian and there's nothing to claim she's not. Um, And she doesn't feel she should have to create websites for same sex marriage. And this goes far beyond that. This goes to, you're not telling, I I totally would agree if the case was there's a same sex couple in my restaurant. I don't want to serve them. That's discrimination because you're just serving food. You're not participating in something you disagree with that absolutely should be protected. But when you're asking someone to actively participate in something they fundamentally disagree with, that shouldn't be allowed at any level, whether it's about gay marriage or something else. Look, I'm a lobbyist. Clients pay me to advance their causes in their legislation. If someone wanted to have me said, I have to work to reinstitute the death penalty in New Hampshire, I should have every right to say no. And we're in this climate now where I don't have a right to say no to something. I happened to be for gay marriage before Supreme Court told me I was. But if I were opposed to gay marriage, we, New Hampshire passed a gay marriage bill long before the Supreme Court situation. If I were, OK, I'm pro-gay marriage. What if a client came to me and said, I have, I'm going to pay you to oppose gay marriage in New Hampshire? I shouldn't have to take that case because I was for gay marriage. We've got to stop forcing people to participate in things they don't agree with. Again, this is not consumerism. This isn't I'm buying a muffin, I'm buying dinner, I'm buying a car. This is actively participating in something you fundamentally disagree with. And, you know, it's a hot topic to use the one on gay marriage. But what if it's anything else? Abortion, anything else?
0: Let me turn your point around to Paul Hodes, former prosecutor, and former member of Congress. I guess what I find compelling about what you're saying, Alicia, is that it is hard to think about people, especially who are in expressive businesses, being forced to express views, express through content that they create, through art that they create, a view that they may not hold or feel. Paul, in addition to your other Uh, attributes, your your other uh, resume items. You're also a musician. You're also a songwriter. You actually mentioned earlier in this show that that's still a very important part of your life. If you had a set of religious views that was somehow against gay marriage, what if you were approached, commissioned to write a song for a wedding, for a same-sex wedding should you be compelled under the law to do that? I think it's it's at least an interesting question. Of course, the counter to it is, well, where does that end? Doesn't this logically just lead you down a slippery slope towards segregated lunch counters?
2: The answer is i I think I think it does. Um, i I mean, i i'm I'm sympathetic to the part of your question that says, should the government be allowed to compel um, a private individual to do something that is antithetical to their views on religion um, uh, or some other view Um, so however uh, you know there's 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 a distinction between what the government can compel a private individual to do in their private lives and what um, uh, what society expects of businesses which hold themselves out to the public. Um, so I see a distinction there, um, uh, and maybe that doesn't quite answer your question. Um, I think private, you know, private individuals are allowed to hold um, uh, extreme views as long as their conduct doesn't uh, impinge on the rights on the rights of others. Um, I I feel differently. Uh, I, uh, about uh, public businesses or businesses which hold themselves out to the public, uh, where um, uh, they are serving uh, serving a, a a a public at large. It's a it's a it's a challenging issue, um, to be sure. Because you know, I suppose the counter is well, what's the difference? Uh, public businesses are owned by private individuals. Why shouldn't they be allowed to um, to uh, refuse? Uh, service to anybody they don't want to serve, that gets you to the lunch counters.
0: I think it's it is as you say very tricky, and I'm with you. I I do have some sympathy for the argument that Alicia you're putting forward. I I do. I guess what I worry about is what you just said, Paul. There's there's you can imagine a scenario where you say, okay, Bill Russell, Celtics lesson, uh, legend, used to have to go on the road and find a hotel that would take black patrons. And the whole team would not stay at a hotel that maintained segregation. But of course, that meant that it was often hard to find a hotel. We wouldn't say that a hotel is allowed to turn away. I I won't take you, you're black. I won't take you, you're gay. Well, what about now you're in the hotel and we employ in our restaurant Um, a piano player, an entertainer. Um, Can we compel them to play during their job? Well, what if they say, "I, I won't play for Black people. I won't play for gay people. You start to, once you draw the line somewhere in between and you say, well, maybe there are businesses that are expressive businesses that are about your views and so maybe that's okay to say you you can have views and not take these kinds of patrons who you don't like. Once you start to try to find that line, it, it becomes awfully hard to keep it from devolving into we're back to segregated lunch counters.
1: I, I don't think the line's that hard to find. I think the line is the word participation. There's a big difference between, um, you know, that piano player playing with a black person in the room and that piano player being forced to play I I don't know, let's say, you know, there's a lot of anti-black songs from the South back in the day. You know, you can't force him to play that song and participate in something he doesn't agree with, but he can just play with an audience that's not participating in any opinion. I mean, like I said, I'm a lobbyist. What if a a group came up to me and said, we're going to hire you and you have to um, push to overturn the 24-week abortion ban in New Hampshire? Should I be forced by the government to take that client?
0: Yeah, that's that is that is a tricky question because obviously what you're offering is an individual service. And I agree with you. I agree that it's not that far a leap from the service you're offering as a consultant to the service that the web designer is offering as a consultant. And, you know, your your personal views do come into it. I would say that there is a bit of a distinction there in that in your case, Alicia, you're Advocating to government, you truly are ex- expressing speech and you're advocating as part of a government process for a certain position that you don't hold. Whereas the website designer merely has to provide a business service, they don't have to say, I love same sex marriage, they merely need to say, Hey, here is our wedding. They're not, it's not participating a participating in
1: something it. they disagree with. Which I think that's the fine line participating in something you don't fundamentally uh, believe you fundamentally don't hold and I think to say government can force you to but here's the other thing can we go back to why do people want to hire people to do things when they don't like them whether it's partisan or same-sex marriage or abortion rights why is anyone trying I could I to could apply
0: that? that for example to a segregated restaurant a segregated school I could say look what if Harvard were segregated by the way plug we are having on this show, the uh, creator of an amazing podcast on Thursday about where all the admissions policies at elite Ivy League institutions came from. It's a fascinating history. It's going to be a great show that's coming up on Thursday. Subscribe to Beyond Politics. What if Harvard said, "Okay, um, we're segregated. We don't we don't want these kinds of people there." wouldn't you still want to go to Harvard? Wouldn't you still want to have that service that you think is the best? If you well, are the Harvard can't best- do
1: that though. Well, that's already against federal law. So Harvard can't do that. But, right, but, but I why have should, seen restaurants But if you're the say, best web
0: designer, why don't I get
1: to patronize your business if, if you're the best? Because- you don't. You can't force me to participate in something. I have seen restaurants. I have seen stores that you walk by and it advocates for a politician, not a politician. And sometimes it gets really loony, particularly during the coronavirus. Some businesses were putting up signs. They didn't want people who were vaxxed and stupid stuff like that because they made a point. I didn't go into that restaurant because I'm vaxxed and I'm going to make a point that I can if I want. I was just like, well, bleep you, you're an idiot. And I kept walking by. I mean, there's a big difference between saying, well, what if they segregated a hypothetical that is against federal law? And something that really happens out in the real world is I don't go to businesses that don't want my business. If you don't want my business because I'm a Republican or because I'm vaxxed or because I was a super max mask wearer or anything else, then I'm not going to give you your, your my business. It doesn't affect my life. I'll just go somewhere else. Whatever happened to that makes life easier.
0: Well, I am I guess I'm going to quote from the movie, say anything. It's about choice, man. Choice. You either have a choice to patronize that business or you don't because you're being discriminated against. And it's just, it's not a big hop, skip and a jump in my mind from, hey, Harvard, we don't want you. You're Jewish. We have too many Jews around here already. By the way, that is where admissions policies came from. I'm just, spoiler alert for the podcast on Thursday. That's where it all came from. You know, we we, we got too many of you people. We don't want you. I'm discriminating against you. Well, I still want to go there right? I, you're the best web designer around, Alicia. I want I want you because I want my wedding website to be awesome. And you're like, nah. I, I, you're, you're yeah, just, no, I don't want to participate. I don't in approve your, of your, but you'll I don't take my money,
1: but I should
0: get the same access. I don't know. It's, it's a tricky issue. Hey, look, speaking of really tricky issues, we have just about filibustered our way toward the end of the show. We've got like two minutes left and I'm going to give you guys your choice of two downright depressing topics to hit really quick. Which one do you want to hit? Do you want to hit the prospect of nuclear war or do you want to hit the new report out detailing the massive amount of abuse going on in women's soccer? They're both so depressing. I don't even know what to do with them. Go ahead. Take our show to a super depressing place. Alicia, you go first.
1: I'm going to go with women's soccer because I don't want to think about nuclear war. That's too scary for me. Reminds me of the movie The Day After from the 80s. Uh, Look, so a report came out outlining systemic sexual abuse and intimidation from coaches to players, starting at even a younger age in the professional level, it was requested by the US Soccer Federation after a report in the Atlantic uh, in 2021 that outlined some of these allegations. And it is scathing, it is systemic. Um, And part of the problem here is which, and I'm gonna be quick so Paul can get to it, which I hope is what gets fixed. The U.S. P- people are blaming the U.S. Soccer Federation. The blame to the U.S. Soccer Federation is that they don't have rules in place to address this. You know, you think of the NFL when there's misbehavior by coaches, by players, the NFL has say in what happens to them in fines. There is no system at the U.S. Soccer Federation to do that at this point. My great, And so what happened is these coaches are getting fired for sexual abuse in one team, getting hired by another team and committing uh, for the debauchery acts. The first thing that needs to happen is the U.S. Soccer Federation has to get together and come up with a structure um, that is controlling, punitive, and most importantly, informative. So there is a general hub of information that the U.S. Soccer Federation can have when one coach gets fired so that he can't get hired somewhere else for the accusations such as were laid out in this report.
0: Paul, you've got 30 seconds. War or soccer?
2: Uh, War. So uh, this just, the the threats of nuclear war by Vladimir Putin just show the depths of depravity. Um, and perhaps insanity that the guy has gone to. He's in a corner. um, And unlike Trump, who's using tweets, uh, Putin is threatening nuclear war. This is uh, perhaps the most dangerous global threat um, since the Cold War. Um, And I know that our Defense Department is making plans, but it's hard to even contemplate. Uh, But it's not going to scare away support for Ukraine.
0: On that absolutely uplifting note, For Paul and Alicia, I'm Matt, we'll see you next time.